Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Romans chapter 5 and possibly some stuff that's going to hurt our heads a little bit. Um, This passage, chapter 5, verse 12 to 21, is probably one of the the most formative uh, passages for Christian understandings of salvation, of the good life, and so on. It's also what I'm going to suggest that um, most of us haven't got a clue what it meant when Paul wrote it. So first of all, to read it. Now, the way this writes, again, remember, Paul is walking up and down, issuing dictation. Tertius is trying to write it down. This is a crazy long single sentence. And in this single sentence, Paul doesn't really finish his sentence. He just goes down all these rabbit holes. So our translations uh, are really trying to make sense of some really horrible writing. Um, So it's complex, it's thick, it's dense. Here goes. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because everyone sinned, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there's no law. Nevertheless, death did reign from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one to come. But that gift is not like that sin. For if so many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to so many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many sins and brought justification. For if by the sin of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So consequently, just as one sin resulted in condemnation for everyone, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for everyone. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespasses, the sins, might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's one, yeah, you really want to break into sentences and take them bit by bit, but there's some big ideas that you probably don't know. What Paul is saying makes perfect sense to people living in the Jewish mindset of the first century. It makes perfect, easy, simple sense. Now, this is where you're going to see how important it is to get the backstory of the Bible before you start telling everybody what it means. Do you believe 
that we were made to live on the earth immortal. That was the will of God, that we should be, we were never made mortal, we were made to be immortal living on the earth. Because that is where the Jewish faith was at at the time Paul is writing. We were made uh, in the book of wisdom. God created man for immortality and made him the image of his own proper nature. But by the envy of the devil, death entered the world. We were not made mortal. We were made to live forever on earth. Now, do you believe that? Because that's what Paul is addressing, and that was the Jewish faith at the time he wrote. Now, the second thing is, do you believe, uh, and by the way, of course, that, that puts a link between sin and death, between immorality and mortality. So is mortality the natural state of things or not? We would say, of course, mortality is the natural state of things. It's everything lives and dies on this world. You know, that's how it goes. Ah, Paul is speaking to these people who, who didn't believe that. Second thing is, do you believe that we are individuals? Do you believe that each person will be judged by their own lights according to their own life? And, you know, that, you know, kids should individuate as teenagers and become their own people and leave their families and, and carve out a different way and that patriarchy is a really bad, bad thing. If you do, again, you aren't part of this debate. Paul is saying, no, everyone belongs in solidarity in groups. We have a group identity and our identity is determined by who we belong to. So, you know, you are your tribe. You are your family. You bring shame on your family, you die. You know, and, and the, the whole vendetta thing between tribes and so on. We, we are not individuals. We belong in identity that belongs to groups. Now, if you don't believe that, again, you have no part of the argument that Paul is making here. Um, we believe we're individuals. This world did not. And Paul goes right to the heart of that and says, look, biggest solidarity available, Adam. We all belong in Adam. We are all part of the human family. The entire human family has sinned before God. Therefore, you have, because you don't exist as an individual person. You belong as part of the human family, part of the Jewish nation, and so on. But you belong as part of all that. Whatever happens to that happens to you. End of story. You don't get a vote. Now, that's not how we see the world. That is how the Jewish faith saw the world at the time of Paul. So he's speaking to these two things. He's using these thought forms to make his point about the salvation of Jesus. So you need to know the backstory. This passage is actually addressing things that never crossed our minds, okay? Because our worldview is so radically different to the worldview in Judaism at the time Paul is writing. But I do want us to stop for a moment and just think a little bit about the idea of what's called original sin. That, that sin that seems to stalk everywhere, that, that thing that you know just looks like humanity really has fallen from something. Now, if you come to this stuff from the armchair philosopher point of view and, and try to do academic theology, you quickly get to 
some real issues. I mean, just two have been identified there. And there's more. If you come to this from the point of view of joining Christ in a mission to see redemption come to people and to the world, I think everything makes a bit more sense. And I'm learning to think more missionally than theologically. I'm not poo-pooing theology. I'm not, I'm definitely not poo-pooing academic study of the word of God and so on and on. But think about it in terms of the people you know. Now, my understanding of the whole Adam story, all of those stories up to chapter 11 in Genesis, these are the stories that give meaning to our lives. And these are us, the, you know, the, the falls in those stories are our falls. And, and what that, that chapter says, it's like a prologue to the Bible. It says, spiritually, sexually, in your work, in your culture, ecologically, in your economy and your trade groups, we are messed up. Everything has gone wrong. We can remember something that, that makes us think we were made for something better than that, but we are messed up. Now, that's how I read those stories. So I look at them and I'm not trying to do maths on how quickly God made the world or you know, where did Cain and Abel find their wives if Adam and Eve only had two? That's irrelevant to me. Those stories, Paul here helps me a little bit. He says, look, you've got to consider yourself part of that story. In a way, I'm my own little Adam, and I look around and so is everybody else. We've all entered into that story. God put before us a way to know him and a way to tell him we wanted to get off the boat. We've pretty much all chosen to get off the boat. We've encouraged each other to do it. And Adam is the guy who helps us see what's wrong with the world, with our lives. And yeah, that is part of me. I am in that story. So in Romans 5, that's how I read it, out of my 21st century worldview. That is my story. And it's the story of everyone. It's the story of the whole world. It's a story that, you know, there's a tendency to selfishness, thoughtlessness, ignorance of God, insensitivity, a resistance to many of the things that are good and noble. And it seems to be writ right through the history of humanity. That's how I read the fall stories in Genesis. And what Paul says here is, and, and we have to say, however we understand what he's arguing about there, and we disagree with him by and large, whatever he's talking about, he says, Jesus interrupts the cycle. It doesn't matter if you think that you were made for immortality and that you don't exist as an individual. It doesn't matter if you think you are an individual and that you were made mortal. It, it really doesn't matter. Jesus interrupts the cycle of sin. Jesus interrupts the meaninglessness, the lostness, the emptiness, the going nowhereness of life. Jesus is the new story. So Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, the flood, Babel, all that stuff, that's the old story. Stories of division, brokenness, hurt, pain. The new story is a story of resurrection from the dead. The new story is a story of perfect obedience to God. The new story is a story of love. It's a story of wisdom. I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, the way he pulled those parables out of thin air and, and changed history by telling these examples to one guy. You know. This is the new story. The new story is Jesus. And we were all caught, however we understand it, in the story of Adam. We could all be caught in the story of Jesus. That's the good news that Paul is wanting to preach. He says, and, and look, I am an individualistic, mortal, 21st century guy. 
But at a personal level, at my individual level, Jesus interrupts my story. He says, Mike, we can do better. There's a whole different way of living, a whole new way of living. Would you like to walk it with me? But also, I do belong to the human story. I am part of, I'm an Australian. I'm a Christian. I'm married to Sal. There's all sorts of groups that I belong to, too. There's this vision of a new world that Jesus gives me as well, where everything will be put right. We call it end times, you know, where everything will actually come back to the state of Eden and where that memory we have of such original blessing of immortality will be ours again. For now, yep, she's pretty messed up. But we who have come to Christ have found a new and living way. Jesus has interrupted the Adam, the human story and created a possibility of an entire new narrative in our lives. This is a God of lavish grace and a saviour of amazing proportions. Let's pray. God, our Father, wow, <laughs> we realise suddenly we're standing on the sidelines watching people slugging it out over ideas that are 2,000 years old that we don't even know about anymore. But Lord, in the middle of all that, Paul is saying, look to Jesus. It's better, it's new, it's fresh, it will work, it's redemptive. Lord, help us to work out how to look to our world where whatever we think of original sin, however we explain why everything seems to be so messed up, whatever our mythology around that is, Paul looks and says, yeah, Jesus interrupts. So Lord, I want to pray today for us that we will be gloriously interrupted by this new and living way, that Jesus, the spirit of the living God, will come and dwell in us and change things. Lord, that, that we would see what it means that this grace in which we stand surpasses the mess that we've made of the world. Somehow, God, even in this life where we are still so subject to the forces of sin and death and decay, even now, Paul says, we can experience that grace is more powerful than sin. Life is more powerful than death. Hope more powerful than despair. Jesus more powerful than us. So, Lord, we want to get a hold of that. And Lord, while some of us will want to go and try to understand that at an academic level and work it out and think it through, most of us, Lord, just need to know it's true and just need to take it to the bank and say, Jesus, you rule and I am walking after you in a new way of living. An interruption to the standard operating procedures of this world and even my own story. So Lord, this stuff we bring to you in Jesus' name asking this mighty prayer that we might prove the salvation of God. Amen. Bless you, folks. Uh, that was that was pretty far going, but I mean, I warned you, Romans is heavy duty. Uh, it'll challenge a lot. Blessings. We'll see you in the morning and we'll, we'll see where we get to then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please... Don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.